0: The Mike Tomano Happening. Welcome to another episode of The Mike Tomano Happening. Our Game Changers series continues today as we look at albums, films, and books that reshaped our perspectives on their respective mediums. The last week has been my return to civilization after about bout with the Omicron virus and the news cycle recently revolving around Spotify, Neil Young and uh, Joni Mitchell leaving Spotify over content on the Joe Rogan podcast, I'm not feeling quite sure that Neil ever listened to Joe, but... I do reflect on that situation and my history with Mr. Neil Young on my latest Tamano blog. So check that out at MikeTamano.com. There will be a link in the description of the podcast today. It's a gem of a story. To paraphrase Leonard Skinner's song, Sweet Home Alabama, I hope Neil Young will remember, although I truly doubt he does. But what a day we shared at Farm Aid in 1998. Check it out. There is a link uh, to my recent blog, and you can go to com and search around and catch my blogs. The podcast is up there, as well as uh, radio show archive stuff and other things, so feel free to browse, and I guarantee when you read the blog, you will have a chuckle, and then share it with 100,000 of your closest friends, won't you? In this Game Changers series of programs, I invited some friends from all walks of life to share their own Game Changers, and then... I add one in each category myself each episode. So my game changer this week in the albums category is the Black Album by the Damned. By the late seventies, the story of punk rock began garnering attention on American news outlets and in magazines, music magazines. And at the forefront of the controversy and the hype were the mighty Sex Pistols with their, you know, snotty attitudes, angry. They threw darts at everything that was sacred in music and society. And it was presented in this loud, brash, primal, musical fury package. And I was in, you know. Uh, Now, mind you, in 1977 until 1978, punk rock albums were pretty difficult to come by in your department store record bin. There might be the odd, you know, Ramones album or Nevermind the Bullocks or the Clash album. But overall, the sections were filled with pop, classic rock and heavy metal bands. So over the next couple of years, whenever I came across a punk rock album, I picked it up. And the musicianship was pretty much crude, for the most part. Though, you know, it was like the appreciation for Keith Moon of The Who. The charm was part of the mayhem. And my first actual exposure to punk was my friend Marty's older sister Judy's copy of the Ramones' self-titled debut. We thought, beat on the brat, beat on the brat, beat on the brat with a baseball bat was the greatest song ever written, and it may be. And then that was followed by uh, discovering at my drum teacher, Bob Berg's house, he would invite me over to listen to some records, and I spied the Ramones' Rocket to Russia album alongside the Miles Davis and John Coltrane records. And the energy of the Ramones was contagious, and I rushed out to buy a copy of their music. As so many of my musical milestones, I picked up a copy of their Road to Ruin album on cassette as soon as I found it on my weekly trip to spend some of my window-washing and floor-waxing money at Tapetown Records. And I heard heard the pistols, the clash, and I read about the Patti Smith Group and television and Richard Hell and Cream and Roxane Magazine. So I was on the hunt. This was This was new and exciting territory. And in interviews, you know, Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols would often slag Yes and Pink Floyd and Emerson Lake and Palmer for their pretentious pomposity and, and but I disagreed because I still pursued progressive rock with fervor and I made room for punk rock. You know, I've always been a fan of good music of any genre and like to have different things on hand to fit my mood, whatever genre they happen to be part of. So in collecting punk albums for my collection, I came across an import copy of the Black Album by the Damned. Now, they had legendary status because up until that point, I'd only seen and heard them in news snippets on television news magazine shows covering punk. And they sounded loud and obnoxious like their peers. But I was really drawn to their lead singer with his Dracula makeup and slicked back hairdo that reminded me of the cover photo of Lou Reed's seminal rock and roll animal live album. And historically, you know, The Damned was there at the very beginning, releasing the first punk single in the U.K. October 22nd 1976. And the song New Rose was uh, issued on Stiff Records. And that kind of started the punk rock ball rolling. And after being recorded in one day, it was uh, released. And then it was later included on their debut album, Damned, Damned, Damned. Or for those of you who are mathematically inclined and pressed for time, Damned cubed. So browsing through Tapetown's import bin, I saw the you know usual Hawkwind and Atomic Rooster albums that sat there for the most part because they were expensive. And then I saw a fresh copy of the Dam's Black album. So this would have been 1980, and I rushed home to hear it. By this time, my punk collection was comprised of the Sex Pistols debut. I think I had three Ramones albums and the Dead Boys' Young, Loud, and Snotty album. So dropping the needle on the damned black album, I expected more of the same, you know, three power chords propelling short songs of similar energy and tempo with snarling vocals delivered, you know, smug confidence. But boy, what a surprise album that was. You know, Wait for the Blackout, the uh, opening track, kind of had a, a British Invasion sound, as did a lot of the punk selections, you know, the the ones that sounded like the punk rock that I had heard up until that point, but they had songs like um, Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde, which contained really atmospheric production, and the the harmonies and the the melodies were kind of like um, the Kinks and the Who, as much as they were the Sex Pistols. And the musicianship of the band was beyond the punk bands that I had heard before. I mean, shit, there was even the occasional guitar solo or long instrumental passage in the songs. That heretofore were forbidden in the punk rock scene. And some other decidedly unpunk moments included the spectacular history of the world, uh, the album closer, really ambitious. It's called Curtain Call, and it's like this sprawling psychedelic epic that echoes early Pink Floyd stuff, you know, around Atomic Heart Mother and metal. Really great stuff. There was the, uh, the proggy 13th floor of Vendetta. So here was a punk album that included harmonies, expansive chord progressions, stellar musicianship, and varying styles. Hmm. You know, there was a song called Twisted Nerve on the album that could have found a home on a Cure album. Very goth, very uh, very dark and autumnal. So it was the Black Album by The Dam that opened the door to what the punk rock philosophy was truly about. Do what you want. Express how you feel, be independent, be original. And with disregard for any rules, full defiance toward the norm. And here was The Damned, standing in contrast to the established punk formula. And that is as punk as it gets. My game changer film this week is uh, 1979's Phantasm, a surreal horror film written and directed by Don Coscarelli. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was hanging out with my friend Jeff when his father, Ron, suggested that we go to a movie at the nearby Orleans Square Cinema. So we, you know, looked through the Sun Times entertainment section's theater listings and noticed there was an afternoon matinee of Phantasm, and its tagline on the commercial was, If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. So that, of course, grabbed us, and off we went. And being 13 year old boys, Jeff and I, of course, had a good snicker when tits flashed on the uh, screen in the film's opening moments. And what followed with this film was a bizarre roller coaster set within the confines of this claustrophobic world that it existed in, where anything went. A severed finger turns into a giant fly. Metal baseballs chase people through mausoleums, only to then spike themselves and drill into their foreheads. Corpses are compressed and then utilized as slaves in another dimension. The movie was whacked out, and I loved every minute of it. And again, a rule breaker. Casarelli's script was pure nightmare logic come to life, and I still am fascinated by that film. Up until then, horror movies fit a formula. You know, a monster terrorizes a village. A man is bitten by a wolf and becomes a wolf. Uh, Women are bitten by vampires Haunted houses are investigated, and then along comes phantasm to blow the top of my head off. God bless its strange little heart. In my Game Changer book this week is Ayn Rand's 1937 novel, Anthem. A lot of people out there putting old Ayn Rand's work down. And I think the majority of people that you see online making fun of or calling her evil or erroneously claiming that she hated the poor. These are people whose brains are owned and programmed, people who have never read Ayn Rand, who just spout off negative comments about Ayn Rand because their brains are owned by people who don't want you to read Ayn Rand. So like so many, I was introduced to Ayn Rand through the name drop on the song dedication that appeared on the Rush 2112 album. Neil Peart would talk about Rand's influence and the impact that She had on him with her spirit of rugged individualism. He found a copy of Fountainhead on uh, the London Tube when he was just a teenager and read it, and it, you know, changed his perspective. And Peart and the band would later distance themselves a bit from Rand's philosophy, but they did do things on their own terms, and that's very Randian. Her philosophy, detailed to an extent, in their song Anthem from their first album together as a trio, Fly By Night, Peart, Lifesonning, Lee. So, spurred by Neil's recommendation, I sought out Ayn Rand's fiction and nonfiction writings, and I remain a devotee. I don't agree with every single idea that she has, but I agree with the overall umbrella of her philosophy, objectivism, the realization of self as man's ultimate goal. That the individual and his or her pursuits should not succumb to the whim of others, nor should they expect others to bend for their own advancement. And it is a jarring fact that Ayn Rand's books have come back into fashion as we see the notions of personal freedom and individualism actually become frowned upon as the trend toward following a dictated narrative and joining a groupthink collective is the promoted and preferred trend these days. Sad day for individualism. However, uh, to delve into Rand's philosophy or writings, one would need much more time to spend. So I'll just say that her small book, Anthem, resonated in me like no other. It was the age of 14 when I finally got a copy of it. And it continues to be a book that I buy for all the teenagers in my life, nieces, nephews, friends, kids, my own daughter. And like Brave New World and 1984, Anthem is a gift. It's essential reading a love letter to the always threatened and today highly endangered species of the individual. All right, let's move on to our panel guest today. Dave Bella, a.k.a. David Lee Fudd, formerly the artist known as David Bella alias John Denver, rock star, avid media collector, cartoon character. So, in uh, episode two of our series of game changers, we go to a very recurrent guest on this program, Dave. You become really part of the Mike Tomato happening. Thank you. Hey, never a problem, my
1: friend. I mean, it feels like old times.
0: Yeah, it does. Know? I'm, I'm back in the saddle, baby. And uh, so, the last episode and the next two episodes are going to be me talking to people whose taste. I've uh, respected and who have turned me on to great music and film and books, and you and I being massive, almost to an illness, consumers of art. Um, I thought I would go to the one and only David Lee Fudd, a.k.a. Dave Bell. No, I mean, <laughs> the, the other way. Dave Bella, a.k.a. David Lee Fudd. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Rock and roll, baby. There you go. This guy. So now, the last time I spoke to you the, last week, you sent me a giant pile of a picture of a pile of Zappa CDs that you picked up. So you're catching yes, up sir. with the whole uh, Zappa world.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere near what you got. But uh, it's. I've always had a great appreciation for Zappa and had some of the stuff in the in the collection. But you really don't often, in looking around and used, find that much Zappa. I no. think it's A... There wasn't as much distributed because he was never on a major label. B. Well, he was on Warner think, Brothers. Yeah. Well, you know, well, he was a. He, he, a lot of his stuff was through Ryko Disc, which I think he just had the relationship with Ryko, and I think later on he did it independently. I mean, you would know better than oh, I do sure, either.
0: yeah. I mean that the, the that's a whole different situation we could discuss uh, the Zappa and versus record companies, but I, yeah. I believe he was on uh, Reprise. Hold on. Now you can see. Now see what you do. Let me go over my. I'm going to my vinyl. <laughs> Whip another vinyl, folks. Stand luckily, by. Luckily, Z is right here. Uh, I just I just grabbed one at random. This is uh, the Great Chunga's Revenge album.
1: Yeah, it's on yeah. reprise. Okay, because I know what he did. Some of his stuff on what, Barking Pumpkin yeah that was his label. his label that was
0: his label yeah this and is I, his
1: label
0: what else did i just i just grabbed uh well this is an import so this is uh yeah bizarre productions liberty so he probably yeah had his own labels and then um you know subsequently put them through distribution with different deals yes hold on i'm putting it back
1: on the on the shelf That's, i understand luckily Make sure I didn't you know. hey, hey don't buy the edges don't get no prints on the vinyl
0: I didn't have to go across the uh, the room to the A's. I just the Z's are right here next to my desk. So, <laughs> you know Neil Gaiman, that wonderful author, uh, yes, Coraline and all that shit. He mm-hmm. uh, he bought a house in Wisconsin just to store his shit. That's a cheap place to find it to put it. You know, what I mean, well, he's got a beautiful home in uh, Wisconsin. That it's an old Victorian, just a mansion, but it's all his books. Good
1: man. I may have to do that soon.
0: You may yeah. I you know I've often thought of just buying a house to house my shit. About a a tenth of my home is now dedicated to it and it's a very large uh office room that uh, has yeah. its own bathroom and two walk-in closets which is nice and they're all filled all four walls of this room are filled with books, CDs, records, artwork, framed pictures, toys, And then the two uh, walk-in closets also filled. Although one closet is this is and I'm this is a whole new project. Man, is my entire radio career on cassette and VHS recorded on reel to reel as well, up until the age of digital, you know, recording. Right, right. So mid two thousands. Holy cow! I've got so much. I've got. Thousands of hours of me on the radio and not all of that is, you know, stuff that I need to keep. I don't need sure. to, you know, on my jazz radio station days, I don't need to keep a tape of me segueing Benny Goodman into Tommy Shaw. I mean, you're Tommy Shaw, no, Artie Shaw. If I segued Benny Goodman into Tommy Shaw, that would be something to keep. That would be very unique. Wouldn't I, don't, I don't think I've ever done that, but you know, <laughs> the career is still cooking. I may have to find a way to, uh, Go from Benny Goodman into Tommy Shaw. No, Artie Shaw. I don't know.
1: Listen. We would have done that at the Cat, though, dude. Yes. All
0: day long. Back at the Cat, we used to have, uh, I I implemented Free For All Fridays, which once a month, you just bring in whatever you want and play it. And I would play uh, Mr. Rogers records into Slayer, into spoken word poetry from Dylan Thomas into how to teach your parakeet to tweet uh, records. It, that was the, we were so
1: insane back then. Oh, but, you, you know, Michael, we never did get any of the prisoners requesting, hey, bless him, I already Shaw, dude. No, they never, never got that. No, the prison
0: requests. Remember when Marielle brought this up on our cat reunion show, <laughs> that I also did uh, death row, death rowetry When I would have them, uh, they would call and just talk their poems up while the operator asked, would you accept a collect call from? And someone would just like read a love letter or, and then I would just, you know, decline the call and not get charged, right. but they would get their death row out there. <laughs> Crazy I don't day.
1: remember that.
0: Yeah. that I probably was told not to do that after a while. As a matter of fact, I believe I was contacted. I was contacted by authorities a number of times uh, because of the early radio show. but it is what it is. And now I'm a a responsible broadcaster. So we go to Dave Bella, a wonderful musician, a big fan of all sorts of music, movies and beyond. And we're going to talk about game changers. And of course, the rules that have been given to you participants of the panel are as follows. They're not necessarily your favorites. They are albums, films, or, and books that changed and reshaped your perception of the medium. So we'll start with uh, what what medium are we starting with,
1: David? I guess we can always start with the love of music for two hundred. There, Alex Trebek.
0: Okay, music. So the album that did this for you, the game changer album.
1: Well, he, he, can can I can I do a mulligan here? Is yes. there a way I can do a mulligan? Sure. Okay. Now there's different things that have inspired me initially okay that kind of really got me going as you know uh, for example i was that diehard john denver fanatic until i heard the first Hat album and that's what for me exploded my world and got me started on this path of insanity that we definitely know and love
0: so the rock and roll bug uh bit you with foghead yes before that, you were not only a John Denver fan. I think that is a major understatement. You yes. you signed your name in junior high, John Denver Bella. Yes. You yes. also uh, made sure your parents, when they took you to the optometrist, got you granny <laughs> glasses like John Denver.
1: Yeah. Did, yeah, you, have, well, did you have
0: the hairdo of a John Denver?
1: Yes, I did. My uh. hair was like, I didn't dye it. But my hair was like that color back then, you know, that kind of a sandy brown blonde looking thing, you know, so it was back then. And I, I actually hunted out that coat that he was wearing, that tannish kind of jacket with a fur collar. So, yeah, I, I, I went full bore, dude. Full bore.
0: David, how much to uh, get a picture of you with in full <laughs> John Denver regalia? How how much? Can I trade you now? something?
1: I'd have to hunt it down because honestly, most of my pictures of me before 18 years old, I had you know, secreted away by the Secret Service. You know, they're they're buried over there. <laughs> you know, you know, well, they're over there in Colorado Springs where they put all that crap in the in that cave, whatever it is. I've you know. got, you know, I've got autographs.
0: I've got all kinds of stuff that I've accumulated over the years. So you let me know what does it take to get an eight by ten. Of Dave, <laughs> circa 1977, in full John Denver motif, and signed by you, and then uh, and you have to sign it, David John Denver Bella.
1: That's, it. That's it. right. That's no, I No, it was Dave Bella alias John Denver. Oh, alias John Denver. Alias Denver. So I, I was creative like that. But uh, so 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 again, the fog hat was the first thing. Now the first album, I would say, that really expanded. My world, as far as music goes, uh, overall, as far as the influence, was definitely "Physical Graffiti" by Zeppelin. Oh, I mean that sprawling album, sprawling epic. I, I adore it. I I love the versatility. Uh, it's it was a uh, my template for like a definition for for me musically um, on my CD and and for just playing music as a whole. I mean, you you got roar from all the way from that to "Cashmere." You got you know "Night Flight" to. Um, you're the rover, the wire, man. The
0: rover is my jam. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. When you bring up Physical Graffiti, which is also a, a favorite of mine and an album that uh, was a milestone in my musical upbringing, my sister was dating this this kid that my dad really didn't like because he was a bit of a, a burnout, this kid. Okay. And, and my sister was secretly seeing him and my father, <laughs> my father ultimately broke this guy's arm and that kept him from coming back to the house, but... He left behind, in his wake, two records. Uh, Led Zeppelin's Physical Graffiti. Yes. And Jefferson Starship's Red Octopus. And he lent those to my sister because she was listening to Motown and the Monkees and stuff. And he wanted to hip her up. So uh, I had those. I still I still have those albums, actually, that he left behind, bless his heart. And um, yeah, Physical Graffiti was a mind blower. And I think... When you when you listen to Led Zeppelin albums, what gets what gets overlooked too often is the four musicians were all incredible. The yes. songwriting was amazing. The guitar playing of Jimmy Page is fantastic, but his skills as a producer were amazing. I just incredible. Yes. Yes. Especially with that the bottom sound. And you had all these monstrous players. And all of their instruments were able to shine through the mix. And I think that's uh that's something to be uh thought about when you think oh, of the yeah. great Jimmy Page.
1: No no small feet because you know, most times you got you know, if, if you're a singer and you're producing the you know, I mean like your vocal shoved way up high, anyone else is like down below or guitar player, whatever instrument is that you you know, you're the musician of. But uh yeah, you're right. His you know, you can hear, for example, like um Oh God! Ten years gone and all that—just all the different parts. Yeah, that's the thing that amazes me about Jimmy Page and his guitar playing. It's you know he's kind of a sloppy player in a way.
0: Yeah, well, he's kind of a sloppy mm-hmm. guy. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's good that we give him credit as a musician, songwriter, and producer because we don't want to talk about his dating underage girls. Okay, back to you. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. So, so but you you just hear all these different unique little guitar lines intertwining that he did and it's really amazing when you listen to that
0: oh yeah yeah great great stuff
1: so led Zeppelin is a
0: mind blower okay so that's two fog hat and led zeppelin's physical graffiti
1: okay now a third one and i told my daughter this and that she just thinks i'm being an egotistical maniac and i'm not but i need to explain myself
0: your album is it your album are you going to plug your album you sick sick son (laughs) of a (laughs)
1: <laughs> but n- not the way that you're thinking. I guess, I guess what it is is you've been in the studio. You've influenced yourself is what you're saying. No, 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 no. You, you've been in the recording studio, recording stuff, right?
0: Dave, I know this is a business we call show, and you're here to plug. Go ahead, plug away. No, I'm listening. Well, I'm kidding really, I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Of course, I've
1: been. You know I, I've, I've played drums on many a recording session, right. yes. So you know when you go in the studio, at least for me, this was my first time really going in for at length doing anything so you really learn and appreciate the artistry of recording and like we were just talking about with jimmy page and all the different parts it caused me from being able to go into studio how to listen to other artists better and hear those parts better oh, and to sure. appreciate those parts better. That's what I mean. You know, for, who cares? There's my CD if I played on someone else's, but it just the fact that I that I at length was able to be in a studio and really appreciate it and learn wow the artistry of utilizing the studio as another instrument.
0: No, it's an interesting take on the on the topic. That's and you know, not that we would plug, but if people want to get the album, what's it called and where can they find it?
1: That's think outside the burning box. And you go on DaveBellaMusic.com. dot com. That's B E L L A H. That's right. Music Red Hot. And uh so or also you can contact you know, see me at shows where I'm playing with the band or uh, I do acoustic shows wherever. You, you can go to Disc Replay, Ross of Chicago well, this is, records. This is a
0: this is a global podcast. So you're you're thinking radio, but I uh, you're I, right. So just go on Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon.
1: Yeah, go to Amazon. You can even if you have to go on YouTube and pull up Dave Bella. It's it's on there.
0: Are you on Spotify?
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, on Spotify. Edible. Unlike Neil. Unlike Neil Young. So now, so yeah,
0: that's that's a good take on it. So that that it, it, that album, the recording of it, was a was a game changer for how you perceive production on albums. That's beautiful. You're very. That was a very good take, David, and and Thank God you. bless you for slipping the plug in now. <laughs> I'm interested because you and I both read, we read a ton of biographies. Yep. Um, we read, I don't know how much fiction you read. I read, uh, I read some fiction, but it's usually genre-based uh, or classic literature. You know, I could, I'll, I'll always, I can grab Dickens. If I'm looking to write something, I'll grab Dickens and read a little bit of them uh, just to get that rhythm going. And, and there's certain people that I grew up um, reading, Steinbeck and Hemingway that you kind of... You kind of revisit them to get a feel for storytelling, yes, but yeah. most of my stuff that I read now fiction wise, is contemporary and genre based. and the majority of the stuff that I read is nonfiction so i'm 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 keen to learn what book was a game changer for you and why?
1: Uh, well, I would have to say lately, nineteen eighty four you think. Well, you know, I mean, if, we don't. If it isn't, we thought it was brilliant.
0: Yeah, my God, we thought it was fiction, but it's actually uh, it was more of a prophecy. Yes,
1: absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Two plus two equals five. You know, what I mean, if you can, people can't see that nowadays, what's going on in this world? Then I, I'm sorry, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go. You know, put an anvil around my leg and go jump off into a lake. You know, what's weird it, is
0: the concept of groupthink being, yeah. you know, exposed in 1984 the most fearsome part of groupthink is that it doesn't regard itself as groupthink it regards individual thought as the enemy and it's yeah that's what i'm seeing in today's world and it is the most bizarre frightening thing um as far as people not getting objective about their own existence and it's and it's kind of weird it's it's well, kind of weird. It's it's insane, but I mean, it's insane. Yeah, so yeah, it 1980- makes you feel
1: like you're like you're the nuts. Because you dare have an individual thought or an opinion.
0: Yeah. You know, that's
1: the frightening thing. And then, you know, to me, it's also the amount of people that have gone rebelled against you to and how quickly to make you feel bad that you have an individual thought. Like, you know, you're just wrong. How dare you think like that? You well be they're asking, programmed.
0: Why? We we are seeing yeah. a programming of a very large portion of our world. Um, to disregard anything that's that they're told to disregard without even delving into it. I doubt that most of the millennials who are championing Neil Young, who they probably heretofore have never even heard of before the last right. week, and they've never listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. And I see it with the disregard of Ayn Rand. You see idiots like Stephen Colbert uh, saying that Ayn Rand called the poor moochers and and losers or whatever he, whatever he said. And I immediately knew that he never read her, never read her. And he never read the book that he quoted Atlas shrugged because she wasn't talking about the poor as being moochers and and, uh, moochers. She was talking about executives who take someone's work and don't give them credit for, but, but see, this is the thing. The people who are slagging Ayn Rand, have never read her for the right. most part and their brains are owned by people who have read her and who hope to God that not enough other people read her because it will thwart <laughs> their own plans. So that's, that's a bizarre thing. And that's what we're seeing 1984 in full effect in this day and age. Good, good, good choice, David. Is, are, is there two Thank more you. books or did you just do one?
1: Well, well, do me, you mean, know, I was just, you know, the, I'm a huge reader of Jeffrey Archer and a lot you know a lot of people here in the States, even though he's a big, well-known author, a lot of people still don't know him. I know that makes no sense, but he's more famous, I think, in in England because he's a lord, British lord. Hello. He's written like 35, 30, 40 books, and he's just an amazing writer. I, I've read everything the man's ever done. I know? know,
0: I know the name. I don't know what he does. Explain. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's he always creates his own characters and stories, and lately he's been doing like these, uh, uh like six, seven, eight book. Things were like uh, lately he's, he's, he's talked about it, this uh, a detective who started off at the beginning of the force and worked his way through and all the different cases that come through. So that's the storyline here. But then stuff he's done before is more kind of historical based. And, you know, he'll kind of deviate around those those things. So it's kind of difficult to explain. But so he, it's very writes, well done. he
0: writes series, though, is what you're saying.
1: For the most he, part. lately, he has the last two series he's written had been series before that was like one and done one and done but yeah. then what he's been doing lately the last two uh, uh groups in fact when he did the series before what he's doing now the guy the character in that was an author well the character that he wrote for is who he's doing now in this series okay you know I, mean? I will i will ch-
0: i will check uh, a jeffrey archer book out of the library on my next visit
1: yeah I, I, I can give you some good recommendations if you like to sometime for the one and dones as opposed to getting involved in the middle of the series, but that's fine. but um, yeah, I, I get
0: say, involved hey, in the middle yeah. of the series a lot of times with um when I'm trying to check out science fiction writers right because they're they're they all do the series thing or many of them do because it's more lucrative and it's job security. but I find myself you know jumping in the middle of stuff and it, like I recently, my daughter during uh, Covid, She brought me some of the Ender uh, series books from Orson Scott Card. And I I like his style of of writing. I've read some of his stuff. And uh, so I'm kind of in the middle. I don't even, I think this one's called Ender's Game or something like that. No, no, Ender's Game was the original. I don't know. I think this is... uh, I don't know. Ender gets a tattoo. I don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> Ender Ender's on a bender.
0: Ender gets no. his nipples pierced. It's it's something. Yeah. But I I know that I, I could tell from opening it up and getting into the first couple chapters. Oh okay. I I have to. There's a learning curve here that I'm not uh, part of. Right right.
1: And, and I would say the third book is actually Ghostwriter by Neil Peart. I really Peart. Say it, no, say it Peart. right. Peart. Peart. Yes. Sorry. But, uh you know it, it, it's a long read and Don't, it's not a quick you know digest thing and he was a great writer but the reason I really like the book so much is if you're a rush fan especially if you're a fan of mr Peart, you you'll really grow to understand the man and what he went through yeah. after his daughter died suddenly in the accident and his wife died of cancer and what he was going through and where, where his headspace was at and you could really appreciate and understand why he took that long time away from rush i mean he had to
0: well obviously to. and and the thing about ghostwriter it's an exhausting read yeah uh, it's a lot of words and it's a lot of mundane activities in between moments of enlightenment and yes. his best friend also goes to prison for right. having a truckload of weed if i remember correctly <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and you know it's weird about that book Ghost Rider which I've had uh, a couple of copies of and I've given them both away to people who were grieving. And right. um and and the amount of people who don't even know who Rush is or who Neil Peart is how that book got passed around. My mother-in-law was reading it one day and I thought that's odd. Huh. And, and she said, boy, what a book this is. And someone at work gave it to her and he was a Rush fan. And so it got passed around because it is a, it's a book. You don't have to be a Rush fan no. to appreciate it. You could be just a human being who knows that sometimes you get kicked in the teeth as hard as you can by life. And uh, and this was a guy who had nothing to live for, who found something to live for. What a tragedy that is, you know, he meets a woman towards the end of the book, not in a spoiler alert, but he gets remarried, has a young daughter, starts a new family and then retires to spend more time with them. And then gets the ultimate kick in his face again by getting a brain tumor and passing away three years after his retirement. Come on. So, like, I mean, yeah. what we learn from the world of Neil Peart is do the best you can do, love what you do, and never stop learning, never stop seeking adventure in life, because uh, you never know. You never do. You don't know. Seize the moment. So, yeah, Ghostwriter, great, 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 uh, great recommendation. I'd like to get another copy of that book and reread it, but uh, every time I get it, I for some reason there would be a moment where i will be talking to someone and I'll say, "Ooh, you know, I got a book for you," and I, and I hand it to them and I don't ask for it back.
1: Right. So. I, did he do a reading of it himself? You know, like oh,
0: I don't think I mean? he did. I don't think he did any uh, audio books of his stuff. He's got a couple of good books. There was one book that I was really excited to read. It was um, he goes on a road trip. It's called Traveling Music: The Soundtrack to My Life by Neil Peart and because i'm such a neil peart lover i I was excited to read this book and i really didn't like his taste in music (laughs) (laughs) it's him it's him driving around the country in this fast sports car and he's listening to his favorite music and he's just doing a travel log he stops for dinner here he meets these people there uh and I'm like, God, your taste in music sucks, bro. Except he does love one of my favorite albums, uh, Dusty in Springfield, uh, Dusty in Springfield, Dusty Springfield in Memphis, Dusty in Memphis. Dusty in Memphis is a perfect record, and it's it's odd because I felt vindication reading that he took it along on all his road trips, and it's one of those records that I bring along on certain road trips because there's something about being in a small town. At the break of dawn, and you're driving somewhere, and you put that album on. It just it fits perfectly. It it fits the uh, soundtrack to the to the motions of a of a vehicle traveling or or whatever you're traveling on or in uh, through a small town or through a northern woods. It just it's a perfect record. I don't have that one. You don't have Dusty in Memphis? No, I don't. Son of a gun! And you know what's weird? I was out thrifting today. And I saw a copy of it and I thought to myself, I should buy this and give it to someone. Isn't that odd? And I didn't. Yes. (laughs) I did not buy it. But if it's still, if it's still at, I can't remember what store it was at, but uh, you know what? I'll get you that album. I, I, you deserve that.
1: Cool. Julie and I just got back. We went uh, at a CD store hunting yesterday up to Rockford, Illinois. Is Toad uh, Hall
0: still there? That big giant. We went to Toad Hall. (gasps) Did you wear a gas mask? It's better than now than it used to be. When was the last time you were there? Oh, I, I haven't been there since the '80s. I went. I went to the Toad Hall when I left. I had to. I had to immediately go home and take a shower. I had to drive 90 oh, yeah. miles home to shower because I was filthy.
1: Well, this guy. I mean, last time Julie and I were there, my wife uh, was back pro- before the kids were born. Now Toad Hall so, so so for those like 25. For those who don't year know, year.
0: for those who don't know, Toad Hall is a <laughs> giant. Uh, record store and, Huge. and and they have books and, and I don't know if they have DVDs or whatnot, but
1: they have DVDs, books, comics, multiple uh, floors,
0: multiple floors of uh, stuff. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's everywhere.
0: A, it's a crate diggers wonderland. So what what did you yes. pick
1: up there? Um, let's see. What did we pick? I picked up an almond brothers live one from a more recent tour. Uh, Bruce Dickinson's uh, fourth or fifth solo album. Was, we picked up like, did you get a chemical? Is stuff. it a
0: chemical wedding?
1: No, no, it's um. Hold on, my turn. Hold on. Wait, did you just say play did some he, theme music for a second? Did he just say he spent
0: two thousand dollars? Wait, he couldn't have said that.
1: Oh dear God,
0: this man is sick. Did he say two thousand dollars? I'll have to ask him when okay, he comes back. I'm
1: back. I, I had a had a walk into the now. Wait room a second. Did you
0: head. did you just say you spent two
1: thousand dollars? No, 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 no. Like two hundred. I don't know. Two fifty. Oh, two hundred.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: No, I'm not that crazy. Well, I am, you,
0: but you are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So here is what I picked up. Okay. Tell me someone's got this kind of. So, Steve Winwood, Arc of a Diver.
0: That's a a good album. That's an album that I've had probably, and I'm not even exaggerating, 10 times in my life, and I've given them away every time.
1: You're giving all your stuff away. How do you keep it either? Come on.
0: Dave, I got too much stuff. If, if someone comes over and says, Oh, that's a great album. You know, me here, take it. You do the same thing. You gave, I walked out of your house one day with a, with a trunk, (laughs) with a trunk on a Buick, a trunk full and a back seat full of albums. So it's not like we don't have stuff.
1: I'm not going to miss it.
0: I won't even know if half this shit is gone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tell me Bob. So, 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 so I pick up that. Um, Finger Eleven, Us Versus Then Versus Now, which is, um, it's kind of a limited edition thing. He has a DVD and uh, unreleased tracks. Okay. And so I had that. Uh, Aretha Franklin, A Rose is Still a Rose, which is one of her yeah. newer ones she yeah. did. Uh, James Taylor, Walking Man, which is I mean, early, right. early.
0: I'll have stuff. to edit that out. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, you know what I do with James Taylor? I, got I, buy, know. I buy James Taylor records. Yeah. Yes. And I've been doing this for years. I buy James Taylor records to listen to the players like Lee Sklar and, oh, yeah. and Steve Gadd and all these great and and um uh Carlos Vega on the live album drumming. Holy cow. And then I get rid of him.
1: Oh yeah. Because I, I, I can't hold is Isn't that, Kunkel on there too? Russ Kunkel is Yeah, the...
0: Russ Kunkel's played with him, but but I but I can't keep James Taylor records in my house. I, I understand. I can understand.
1: I'm going to let my, my that's Julie's thing. So okay, that's Julie. Uh, we'll blame it on Julie. Said. Yes. Okay, so blame it on her. Okay, I picked up this Jet, the band Jet Rare Tracks, which is a bunch of, a bunch of unreleased things. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I'll pick up that. Um, Culture Club's Greatest Hits
0: can't, it can't go wrong with that. That's great that, stuff. And that's really all you need. You don't I, like, I don't need all the culture club stuff. I don't need every release that they've done. I have a comp or not a compilation, but a greatest hits thing. Uh, boy George and culture clubs, greatest hits because um, say what you will about culture club boy, George as a vocalist is incredible and yeah. his phrasing is amazing He's quite the talent and he's a charming guy. Uh, I don't know what he's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Hasn't he? Yeah,
1: I, th- I think so. He's not quite as charming as King diamond now. I'm just saying,
0: Hey, King diamond helped me through my divorce. So, you know, th- that's a whole other story. I'm trying to get him back on, but he keeps putting me off until the new album comes out. So that makes sense.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so tears for fears, Raul and the Kings of Spain. That's a great album uh that picked up this thing is kind of a prequel to guns of roses called hollywood rose which has like five tracks that they did like before slash got together with them and it's, it's pretty interesting
0: okay
1: um us uh, see then another another uh jt the guy we don't talk about and this was like his first album he ever did no he's fine he's just, he's
0: just he's just mush you know the music it's, it's- i know his lyrics are dorky, but but who am I to talk about James Taylor? Whatever, art artist objective, Yes, James Taylor, wonderful artist, great musician, great songwriter.
1: Right, you uh, two songs of innocence. Okay, uh, Almond Brothers, uh, One Way Out, live at the Beacon Theater.
0: I just gave that away. Really? Yeah, a friend of mine right. came by, and I, uh, big Almond Brothers fan, handed it to him. Here, take it. Get out of here.
1: Brian Adams, Eleven. All right. Megadeth, Endgame. All right. Chris Whitley, "Soft Dangerous uh, Shores," which I I never saw this one before. I had a lot of his other stuff, but got it for fifty cents. Okay, wait. Now to
0: we're gonna go through crate digging. Okay, can I, um, Dave, sing yes. one of your songs for a second? Because I'm gonna go grab what I what I I'm gonna go grab the stack that I got this week. Go nice. ahead. Here's Dave Bella, ladies and gentlemen. Okay.
1: Don't leave your heart in chains, Monday. So me Monday. You ain't by my side. Tuesday, then came Wednesday. Started a question why. Why'd you go off and leave me this way without a single word? Don't you know the price would pay? Better would shock you, girl. It's still early, yeah. All right, so I gave you I gave a, a verse there you because
0: go. Uh, these were still in a these were still in my uh, my man purse. So uh, here's what I picked up. This. All right, are you done okay. with your? What did you pick up? And your well, actually, a Couple more things. Andre Segovia. Okay. Uh,
1: Lee Michaels, best of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? And a uh, Molly hatchet, five CD, uh, little box set, because I was looking for this one album forever. His uh, album called techno prisoners. Couldn't find it on CD anywhere. So I figured it was cheaper to buy the freaking five pack than it was trying to buy the one. So I did that.
0: Oh, beautiful. All right. Here's, yeah. here's what I picked up. You ready? Okay. Yes. I got uh, a two disc set epitaph for a legend. I got this for a dollar. It's uh It is a record company that put out a lot of, like, garage rock band. There's a bunch of stuff from the Red Crayola on here. Uh, Dave Allen, who I believe went on. He he did, um, like, kind of that. um, He did, what was it? It was a Hells Angels movie he did the soundtrack for that was kind of famous. And there's some stuff from the 13th Floor Elevator, some psychedelic garage rock. Right. I picked up Keith Emerson with The Nice. That's the name of the album. Okay. I picked that up for a dollar. A couple of things at a thrift store in the Heights that I picked up for 25 cents. The John LaBarbera Big Band, because it's got uh, uh, Joe LaBarbera on drums. Fantastic drummer. Another big band record I didn't know. uh, I'm not very familiar with Bob Florence, but um, I looked it up on my phone and it got good reviews. So that's not bad. Here's a great record that I picked up. Um, Frank Mantooth, the Sweet Tooth album, the absolute worst cover ever. <laughs> okay. And uh, you could look that up. It's Sweet, S-U-I-T-E, Tooth. And if you look that up, absolute worst album cover in the history of recorded music. But it's got um, it's got Art Farmer on it, and it's got Louis Belson, two of my favorite jazz players. So I picked that okay. up. Uh, I picked up a... A Hank Williams Sr. album I don't have. It's Hank Williams as Luke the Drifter, Beyond the Sunset, which is it's a good uh, collection of Hank. I'm a big Hank Sr. fan. And right. then I found a box set. Hold on a second. A, a box set of, uh, it's two CDs with a little booklet. And it's Hank Williams Sr. Okay. Uh, Health and Happiness shows. It was a radio show that he performed live on. And I... I match these songs to uh, the box sets that I have and, and and I don't there's some tracks on here that I don't have, and it's it's done live on a radio show. so that was interesting. That was a dollar. Um, and I also found this record. I'm not a big fan of this record. I love Steely Dan, uh, and I've heard this record before, but I know it's quite hard to find eleven tracks of Whack from Walter Becker. And that goes, huh. for, yeah. It's uh, it's Walter Becker's solo album. I'll have to revisit it because I wasn't uh, wasn't impressed. Here's a band that I found. This was a dime, and um, oddly enough, I took it out uh, of their stack in the thrift store. It was a dime, and it's a band called Presence, and it's uh, uh who's the keyboard player for the uh, Lawrence uh, Tallhurst from the Cure. It was the band that he put together after leaving the Cure and it's very Cure-like, but a little, little harder edged. And it's, it's not bad. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Presents. Ah. it's called Inside. And uh, Ja Wobble, who played bass for Public Image Limited, he puts out really interesting records. I found this for 50 cents, the inspiration of William Blake. I listened to it and it's going to be one of those records that I have to go back to and really give it, time uh instead of just sure. you know running errands it's really good uh world music electronic uh progressive Jackie, whatever his name is the, the drummer for can jackie lebezite uh the okay. drummer for can the uh, great crop rock band so so uh, if
1: that one comes up in anyone's crossword puzzle how would we spell that one
0: <laughs> i also <laughs> i picked this up for a dollar uh otis redding anthology oh uh, the otis redding story and I got, I got another, a Chet Baker record that I don't know where I put it, but it's around here somewhere. I love Chet Baker's playing, and I love his singing, too. And then I found, uh, for 99 cents, You Are the Music, We're Just the Band, the trapeze album that I did not oh, have.
1: I have the deluxe version of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I do. And uh, that that is amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, oh, people don't record. understand. First off, if you, people out there in radio land, if you know who Glenn Hughes is, Shame on you. Oh, he's the man. He's the My man. My God.
0: He's this the man.
1: man is one of the most amazing singers ever walking on planet Earth. Yes, he's very You're good. Say, he's 70-something years old, and he makes me sound like a baritone. The guy is an amazing singer. Now,
0: he's a monster. He's a monster. and he's a monster. Uh, and
1: monster bass player, too. And if you love funk rock with a little more rock edge, Trapeze is your band.
0: Yeah, I have, a, I have the other Trapeze albums, and this one I didn't have – and listening to it, I enjoy the ballads a lot on this record. The, the, the beautiful, beautiful soul renditions of songs. And I picked up three records or three CDs of uh, of records I have on um, or albums that I have on record. But I wanted to have them for the car and for traveling. I've picked up uh, the trilogy album and the eponymous album from Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and Close to the Edge by Yes because I don't have those on CD. And that was my stack this week.
1: So cool. Dave, we haven't. We we are sick. You understand? Yeah, we've been talking for 40
0: minutes. We have to get the movie that changed your perception of film, Dave Bella. Blazing Saddles. You know what? Marty said that last week Blazing Saddles. All
1: right. And again, I mean, it's just amazing. It, it's it's the go to movie. If I when I'm sick, I put on blazing saddles, you know, I mean, from the beginning to the end. And Michael, I've seen this thing. God knows how many times and I discover something new every freaking time I watch this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of Mel Brooks's uh, finest moments. I have a. Um, an affinity for young Frankenstein and the producers, those being my two favorite Mel Brooks films, but I remember seeing Blazing Saddles in the cinema at a very young age and n- just these people saying words that I was never allowed to say and told never to say <laughs> in my home. And then my father explained to me that, that they were, they were kind of poking fun at how ignorant people are that act like that. Yeah. And it was just, it was,
1: but you know, as a young kid, you're not, you're not getting the
0: nuance. I was kind of blown away by it.
1: Oh yeah, I mean you imagine you know, for example, I have a friend of mine who I turned on. I I literally he lives down uh, down in Georgia and I sent him young Frankenstein and blazing saddles. He never saw it before. And he's like, you know, early forties and he never even heard of the things before. I said, dude, if you expect me to do business with you, you must watch these movies
0: what was it so, is he young or is he just living under you know, a
1: rock early for, he's like 41 42 years old and so he never really knew about the movies before and so i sent him down to him and uh i and you know in you know, from today's perspective like you're saying as a child if you watch this and this perspective of how things are nowadays no, you know, like, just get canceled yeah oh yeah i mean you'd be oh you know you, you just Forget it. You can't watch it. I can't listen to that. Whatever. No, satire, but,
0: satire dances on a very slippery uh, precipice these days.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. But but the, like, he, like you say, as is, is the famous line goes with the, with the movie is um, initially, I guess that Mel Brooks had a white guy write all the white lines and a black guy write all the black lines. But I guess when he got the first cut from all these guys, it just sucked. So he said, OK, now we're going to flip. The black guy, you're gonna write all the white lines, and the white guys gonna write all the oh, black lines. Oh, I've never heard
0: that. I know Richard yeah. Pryor wrote the uh, campfire scene. Oh yeah, yeah, Richard Pryor, <laughs> Richard Pryor, who uh, was not allowed to be in the movie because of his uh, his uninhibited off camera behaviors, and so they kind of said, "Let's just let him. Let's just lock this cat in a writing room and let him bring his brilliance to the page, and we'll get." a little bit more of a responsible lead for the uh, role. Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah.
1: Right. Phenomenal stuff. Phenomenal stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, well, it's so always I mean, good every... to
0: have you on. Are you promoting the fact that you're on this to all your fans?
1: Yeah. I, when I get done with you, I'll put it on Facebook. It, these... you send me the link. You know? Well, I have to edit it first. Well, of course, yeah. With I have us to, guys, I have to know, beep like 40 out. 40 minutes go, you know, what's the three things? And Okay, we're done. Have a good day. I
0: know? have to beep out uh, You know, James Taylor.
1: Yeah. I can understand that. I can understand that. Right, right up to Mister N.Y. You know, our best buddy.
0: Who's oh Neil Young? You know, I I'll always
1: love Neil Young.
0: He's always been a nutcase, and uh, I it's up to you know. Listen, it was his prerogative to do that. Um, Now, in the world that I live in, I wouldn't have said get rid of someone. I would have just left. I you know, I thought that was that was the shitty part of it. Is him saying him or me you know if you want to just protest that you don't want to be on the same channel as someone whose views you don't agree with then just leave the channel don't try to take away someone else's livelihood but the neil young of the 70s and 60s whose idealism uh meant so much to me is not the same neil young today so but that's fine he'll always be important to me and uh Life goes on, brother. It gets nothing, if not interesting. I can't even talk anymore. I have to go get some water. We've been talking for 45 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have have water near you? I don't have any water near me. No, I, I, I should have went and got some. Oh, well, wow. but, you know, let me ask you, do you think it's coincidental the fact that Neil Young sold his back catalog about three, four weeks ago to all of a sudden doing something this grandiose to try to get more attention to him, you think? Was it three or four weeks ago? I know it was uh, recent. He, he sold his back catalog. Sold, sold it for like, like, I don't know, a million dollars.
0: He, no, he sold half of his music for $150 million.
1: Yeah. So, oh. you know. I don't so, know. Yeah, Who knows? It's yeah, it's not, listen,
0: well, Neil Young's not looking at Spotify as a major revenue generator. I mean, come on. No. You know, it, it's, it was, he was, he was making a point And if that's what he believes and that's what he believes. I don't, I don't like people trying to protect me from myself. I've never liked that. And I don't, I don't yeah. like that wave of influence that's happening now, where if information gets out there, you have to assume that someone who doesn't agree with you isn't smart enough to decipher it for themselves whether it's right or wrong so what that does it ushers in tyranny and i you know that whole thought process where if i don't agree with it you can't listen to it because it's dangerous and you're not smart enough to decipher it for yourself and that is what starts a lot of shit throughout history but yep It'll happen the way it's going to happen, and I have very little to do with it. But I do know that I love you, and thank you for uh, being part of the
1: program. Love you. Love you, Pookie. Take care of yourself. And hi, everybody around the world. Keep rocking.
0: The Mike Tomano Happening.